0: And so what I did, actually, I did the entire Goldman Internship standing up. So I was like, how am I supposed to, like, you know, stand and exercise? But I'm-
1: Hello and welcome to the BLK podcast. Uh, my name is E.O.L. Kastadarj. I'm an equity analyst research at BLK. Uh, with me today is Emmanuel. He will be introducing our guests. But uh, as a disclaimer, we just want to say that uh, the opinions stated on this podcast are of the analysts and the guests and not of BLK. But without any further ado, Emmanuel is going to introduce our guests.
2: Uh, hello, my name is Emmanuel Asante and I'm a sophomore at Babson College. And I'm also an equity analyst at BLK Capital Management. Today, our guest is Seven Richmond, the current president of BLK and the BLK Foundation. Seven is a seasoned finance intern at firms like Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, to name a few. Seven is a junior right now concentrating economics at Harvard University. Now, before we begin, we would also like to reiterate that the views <laughs> mentioned and expressed in this podcast are purely our own and do not represent the values of BLK or its sponsors.
1: Yeah, so uh, welcome, Seven. I welcome you. to the podcast. Thank you.
0: I appreciate you having me
1: here. Yeah. Uh you're actually our first our first guest, so uh I think it's it's appropriate, you know, you're you being the BLK president, being the first guest onto the podcast. But um yeah, yeah. Just uh tell us a bit about yourself, like your background, your interest in finance.
0: Um yeah. Yeah. Um goodness. My my interest in finance I knew I was gonna study business when I got to college, but I did not do anything particularly um, noteworthy business wise before I got to college at all. I did not know anything about the sales side or the buy side or anything about finance for that matter. All I cared about in high school was hoopin'. Like, I really just cared about being the best basketball player, football player, scholar, and really son, brother, you know, friend I could be to the people around me from my area. And that's all that really mattered for me. And then when I got to college, I knew that I was going to study economics because I wasn't going to let like, you know, my family's complete investment into me. Um, you know, they, had to, they had to really make an overhaul. and they saved a lot of money for the moment that I would go to college. And so I knew that, you know, that that investment was going to be reaped in some way. So I knew I was going to study business or economics or something like that to make sure that you know, my family's investment into me, um, that they, they would get even more than that than they expected. Um, that, that's where the real interest came from, and then when I finally got to Harvard, I just saw people that were older than me, who were black, who were doing some really really cool stuff, and I, I just followed their footsteps. So, you know, the people that come to mind are Naomi Vickers, who was the president of BOK. Okay. Um, she was president, you know, two presidents before me. Um, Angel Muhammad, who was the president before me, BOK, Be okay. and of course, you know, Angel Noha as well. Um, Angel Angel Nod, Drew Tucker, and Natalie Graham, all those people um, that were you know, involved in BLK were people I looked up to when I was in college and just met them. And I was like, those are the kind of people I'm going to model my college career after. And honestly, like the rest of it took care of itself.
1: Yeah. I-, I feel like it's been working pretty well for you <laughs> uh, since you probably began as well. But um, how would you explain BLK to... You know, someone who's never heard of BOK or even knows like, what finance is?
0: Sure. So BOK is a 100% Black-owned, student-run, long short equity hedge fund with over $100,000 in assets under management. What we do is we develop Black undergraduate talent through active money management. Like that's absolutely the sentence. And then also, um, in 2020, um, as was begun really um, during this year, and Thanks to the work of this year's BLK Capital Executive Board, um, we've actually been able to create the BLK Foundation, which you know is an organization directly dedicated to providing financial support, um, you know, and also non-financial support to Black-owned businesses with the dual mandate of supporting Black startups, um, you know, paying forward our success to Black startups and entrepreneurs, and then giving back to small and medium black owned businesses around the United States, Europe and Africa.
1: Yeah, wow, that's, that's really incredible. Um, so what is your role as president of BLK entail in, in that, that big world that you just described there?
0: Yeah, so that's actually a, a very good question because my role as president has changed so much since I started as president of BLK. And now, you know, with elections coming up next week, with it ending. So when, I, when my term as president began, um, I had been a part of the BLK executive board, but the executive board never actually met with each other. Like, never. Had meeting each other. I didn't even know who the other executive members were. There was very little communication um, between the members. And so, first thing that I made sure to do um, as the president of BLK I was like, you know, this is going to be a team. Like, this will... I don't have the capability to actually be able to do BOK by myself, and it wouldn't work if I tried to do that. And so what my my role as president started was simply getting everyone involved and communicating. And this is where I've really got to mention Rachel Gabriel, who's the current COO of BOK, who really took that in stride and hosted all the executive board meetings, made sure everyone was communicating on time. And so that's really where my job began with establishing communication. Among all of BLK. And my second real priority um, was making sure we actually started investing. You know, I had been a part of BLK for a while, and there was no transparency on the kind of assets that BLK was holding or any of the um, like actual movement of the money that was going on. So, my next phase as president was to make sure that we were getting that active money management piece that thought made us really special in comparison to other student run clubs that exist out there. And so, you know, that was, those are my goals. And you know, thankfully, um, with the help of, you know, portfolio manager at Iowa Jow, um, the VPs for Education, Miles and um, like there were a lot of people that were very important for that, that step in, in creating, you know, the active money management piece and actually executing it that you see today. Um, and then what, what really is important as president is like probably the most important job you have to do is orchestrate the BLK Capital Management call conference. Um, Fall and the spring conference, so it's really on your shoulders to like put that together. However, um, even though I had to like, of course, it took a lot of work out of me. Um, have to give like mad credit to you know, Joel Stennett, our sponsorships chair, who you know made my job harder and easier by literally doubling our sponsorship base. So I had to work with a lot more people in that regard. He did an excellent job there with reaching out to sponsor firms and making them get included, and also you know the CMOs, um, Avi Amuda and Genevieve Vansa. Um, who did a sensational job of marketing the BOK okay, um, conference, and actually doing things I would have no capability of doing, and really generating the hype and expertise about it. And actually, their their real effort into the output of of what that BOK okay conference was was a huge reason why Henry Kravis actually agreed to join. And then you know how you know kind of after there, you know Henry Kravis actually requested a conversation with me. Um, and which really started the BLK Foundation. So, so in a lot of ways, like most people um, and, and their work that people didn't really recognize and you know, was done by themselves, like made huge changes for the BLK organization that y'all know today. So, I, I can't act like um, you know being president has been the same job. It's, finished. it's changed a lot. And Now that I'm president, like right now, I don't even consider myself the person who runs BLK. Like, it's absolutely up to the current sophomores that are doing that. Like, they are, they've absolutely taken in stride. Um, not just the sophomores, but also Drew Aquai, who's actually handled a lot of the sponsorship positions lately. And of course, Susie and on um, the current chair of the Women's Initiative and have marketing for the foundation, who's been very proactive in making sure that steps are getting started and done. And we're actually executing on the stuff that we want to see happen. So, I've really seen a pretty cool transition from like having to be super hands on from the start. And now toward the end of my presidency, I'm kind of like, wow, like this is what has been created. Like everyone just like takes it over. Now. It's really cool. Yeah,
1: definitely. Um, yeah, even like that, that transition from how BLK grew is is really incredible. No, I was just going to say my favorite aspect of BLK is the education program. Um cool. And I think we're we've all been through it, or we're all going through it right now. So, how would you guys say um, like that education program has helped you, like learn, grow, uh, you know, personally, and like what what that has taught you?
0: Goodness. Um, so, first of all, like, Miles and Ifiani have done such a better job with the education program than I did when I was the VP of Education. So, shout out to them. For the absolute monstrous effort they put into that. Um, I would say for me when I did the education program back when I was the first year, right? There was no real structure about it. Um, I I no one would tell me when I had to do stuff or like, you know, I really it was it was different. Like it was just a student, it was like the first year of BLK existing. there were so many things that like had not happened yet. Um so I really did the entire education program like script. I actually like just sat. In a library all spring break, and did the BLK education program because it was like up to you whenever you wanted to finish it. And I learned a ton that week. I think that week I really learned the language of finance. It was like the first time I actually started to understand what these terms began to mean. I actually, started speaking the language that people were addressing me to. Um, and also, it was the first time I was like building models. I and mean, at the end of my education program, I was able to present the company that I worked on for that education program to some of our sponsors at the Morgan Stanley headquarters and the conference when those in person. So that was a really cool experience for me there. I'd say my favorite part about it is um, it's definitely the modeling work that you get. So I think that that's pretty rare to actually be able to do modeling work um, as, you know, someone who, like, hadn't even held a full-time, a real full-time job in finance before. So I think that really separated me. And people in sponsor firms know, like, the kind of, knowledge that BLK people have because of that education program.
1: Yeah, exactly. And what, what about you, Emmanuel? What has your experience been like?
2: When you were speaking on BLK being a 100% Black-owned student-run hedge fund, I've heard there have been, like, other similar organizations. I know one is in Cornell and one is in UCLA. Have have you or either or BLK been in, like, contacts with them or have talked with them or have planned to engage any type of, uh, like, future endeavors with them?
0: Oh, yeah. So, Shek Kamara, um, he actually is a really good friend of mine. Um, he started Black Gen Capital, which is the one you're referring to. Now. Um, so far, those ones have only been for their own university. BLK exists for everybody, which I think is pretty cool. Um, but I, I think that Shek has plans to make it national. I'd be shocked if they didn't. Um, and so, I, I think um, when it comes to those firms, like I think they're not... Actually, I don't. I don't think Black Gen is also. They're not also. They're also not entirely Black. I think it's a minority of like um, Latinx and, and other minority people um, are part of that. So um, I think we're the only like actually like Black owned one. Um, and we also don't have chapters, so we're like one body, we're one family, which which I like about BLK, okay too. Um, but I hope that the next since I haven't like I know Sheck pretty well, um, and of course like anyone who's Black in this industry probably knows each other. Right? it's not a big world out there. So I'm sure that they're going to coordinate something together. I just hope they do it soon. I I don't think I'll it's like month I'm not gonna see the promised language. with you. But you know, I'm sure like the next board will be able to put something cool about
2: it. Oh, yeah that's cool. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um Emmanuel, you wanna you wanna speak about like your experience um with the educational program? Like as an analyst? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, sure. what that yeah. has been like. So, so yeah.
2: Yeah, so as I told you before, I go to Babson College. And if you know about Babson College, it's like a strictly businessy, everything is a business, all types of like accounting, finance, back to back, all day, exams all the time. And this was one of the first times I feel like I was actually, I've learned a lot in my time here. Like, there's no, no, no snuffs of Babson, but I feel like it's one of the first times I've, I've been actually like retaining some of the information I really learned and was able to apply it in many different ways. Like I was able to communicate better with the people that like my groups and my sector groups. And overall, it was just an enjoyable time because like people within my within my sector like EOL and others like they usually like they, they follow up with you they contact you at a the time they send you news articles and they make sure that like you incorporate finance in your day life, which is something that tends not happen as much when, when like it's, it's kind of like at school it's like oh I'm, I'm going to class, I'm gonna learn this but once I'm out of class, I kind of like turn it off versus in the BLK education program it was like I'm using this in my day to day life like all the time. Because I have to keep in contact with all these people. I'd really like to hear about your, your daily routine. Like what how you, <laughs> you know, like how do you go about your, your day as, as president, as a student at Harvard, what is it like? What challenges do you face? Anything? Sure. Um
0: so I, I try to be as intentional as possible in everything I do throughout the day. Um I take a page out of my sister's book and I actually try to so, like literally put in a cool calendar like every minute of every day of what I'm doing. And so when I really shoot for and if like you know no like events are going on or whatever, like I guess like a normal day. Um I always try to like get up at seven thirty regardless of I have class or not soon. And then I immediately I pray, I do yoga. Like I'm very huge on the yoga thing. And then also I I do that same routine. It's it's good for focus. And then after that Usually I'll probably have like a classroom meeting, some some kind of classroom meeting, like between 9 a.m. to noon. And what I do for that is actually, um, I got rid of my chair that was in my room. I, I literally like put it away. I don't even want it near me because I don't want to sit. I think it's a bad mentality to sit. Uh, I, I don't like doing it, so I stand throughout the entire day. And then if I have to sit down, like if I get tired, I will sit like cross-legged on the floor. And I will eat because it's better for your back than it is for like sitting
2: on a chair. So I sit a little- Yeah, I've noticed that in a couple of meetings we've been together. Was, like this guy is always standing there, like
0: Yeah, I always stand. I never sit for a meeting. Um I one thing I'm scared about when I go back to a regular coronavirus world is I don't have to sit down again, which is really a scary thought. Um but <laughs> um constantly trying to move. And then the afternoon, I always exercise. So if it's good weather outside I play basketball. If it's bad weather outside I a weights, And that's usually like vibe trying to afford it but- the afternoon, I exercise at some point, and then I take a nap every day. In the afternoon, I take about an hour nap, like regardless of anything that's going on. I block that in my calendar. I don't let people book meetings with me. I take a nap right before this podcast actually. Um, like I constantly take a nap because it's very important that you have a time for your entire body to shut down in the middle of the day because then it allows me to transition to like now. What is the work that I'm going to carry into the night? Like, that's usually time where you're not meeting with people. It's just you and yourself. And it's like, what are you going to do with this free time that you have today? Um, and so I, I really try to, like, be intentional about, you know, getting that homework done immediately as soon as I wake up. And then I play a ton of chess when I don't know anything about chess. Like, I, I go to chess.com. I'm, like, I'm learning to openings. Like, I really enjoy the game of chess and, like, exploring new things. And also, I speak um, five languages. So I'm very intentional about keeping up to date with my languages. I try to you know, watch different videos in Spanish, Portuguese, French, and Italian, just because I don't get the chance to speak those languages as often as I would like to, since everything I have to do is done in English throughout my day. Now, they
2: got to get you on the next season of, what, what's it called? Queen's Gambit. In each <laughs> no, I'm not, yeah. really,
0: I'm not really good enough at chess <laughs> anywhere. If I do it so I help my brain. <laughs>
1: I love, I love how you take, like, mindful rest throughout the day. Like, you know, you're you're going outside and then with the naps. And then I love how you're always standing, like, and you're doing yoga as well. Like, these are such, like, great habits.
2: Yeah, so, and I know people are yeah. often in trouble with, like, cell phones being a distraction or, like, figuring out what kind of routine they, they're going to go into once they get into college. And finding that balance is honestly really hard.
0: It's incredibly hard. And sometimes everything's got to go out the window because like what if one of my friends is having a really bad day and has to talk to me, you know, what if like, um, you know, something happens, something comes up with be okay, which has happened many times. And like, you know, a sponsor needs to know something immediately. Um, there's a lot of things that will come up scraggly, but if you can try your best to have things that are centered in your day, it, it really does make a world of difference for you, even with the uncertainty that happens throughout your life.
1: Yeah. So how how do you, because, you know, um, I feel like doing this is good, but you do it consistently, which I think is, like, the really important part. So how do you make this, like, consistent? How do you consistently, like, incorporate this into your you know, like daily life or, like, philosophy of life?
0: Oh, yeah. You have to do little tactics. It's kind of like chess. I mean, it's, like, if you, go, if you actually want to win a chess game, you've got to initiate a tactic. And so you've got to do little tactics with yourself that actually, like, make you do it. So when I do with my phone, I actually, um it's my alarm. And so I put it a whole room away so that I have to physically wake up and get out of bed to go get my phone and turn off the alarm so that by mm-hmm. then, I'm actually standing. And then I can like actually just go straight to my yoga routine. Like it's much easier to do that than if my phone was on my bedside and I could roll over and turn off the alarm so I would want to sleep again. So I do those like, I know myself, I know how I like to sleep. So I've got to do things that get me awake. One time, actually, I was so upset with myself for sleeping too much that actually dumped fifty Cheetos, fifty packets of flaming hot Cheetos on my bed so I would be uncomfortable as I slept so I wouldn't. (laughs) That is very unorthodox. Yeah, it's incredibly unorthodox. But like, you've got to do little things to stop yourself from yourself. Um, And so, (laughs) those that's one example of it. And then also, you've got to eventually just enjoy it. Like eventually you just come to like really embellish in those little things. Like I really enjoy standing. I think it's great for my back, it's great for my health, it's great for my legs. And nowadays, like when I sit, I don't feel comfortable. It's like now the things that were once, you know, mainstream and maybe it felt difficult before, now those things are foreign me. And now the things I've adopted into my routine are the things that actually make sense for my life.
2: And so what advice would you give people Like students first going into college about starting a routine
0: and how to get used to the college life because it can be a lot yeah I would say if you have a winter break where you have like nothing going on for about two or three weeks I would say those would be your two or three weeks to start I think the turning point for me was my sophomore year winter break when I started to figure this out um, when I like really drilled into a routine and stuck with it no matter what because those two weeks of building good habits just stayed with me for the rest of it it takes about 21 days to build good habits. I read that somewhere. So if you want next time you can get a break, like your summer break or your winter break, and really establish good habits, take full advantage of
1: it. Definitely. And, um, you know, I feel like good habits only lead to, like, good opportunities. And you've had, like, a plethora of uh, opportunities under your belt. So do you want to talk about, like, how you got – um certain internships like how you prepared because uh you've worked from companies that are like based in in Portugal to like Goldman Sachs for example
0: yeah oh my goodness so I would say with these opportunities right um I had a ton of help none of them happened because I worked so hard myself that I earned them in some you know way I think it's kind of stupid the way people try to sell to people that, like, you know, it's because you're not working hard enough, that you're not getting a job. Like, there are plenty of people I work with that go and got the job because they are managed work there. So, like, it's not because you're a lazy person that you're not getting opportunities. I would say something that, like, so I actually found myself really fortunate for all of my opportunities. So I'll start with freshman year, I guess. I was looking for something to do in my summer. And I got accepted to this study abroad program in Spain. I was like really juiced about it. I was going to study Spanish throughout college. Like, I was really excited for that. And then, um, you know, my financial aid package came for the study abroad trip. I didn't get enough funding for it. And yeah, I called my family back home. They were like, yeah, you can't do this. Um, which like I wasn't shocked about, but it was still kind of sad. However, I reached back out to my network and like people I'd worked with back in Cleveland. And I was like, hey, there's a start there's a study abroad program I never got the chance to do because I couldn't afford it. Um, and actually one of those people in Cleveland reached out to this firm out in Portugal and he said, You know, I got this really cool kid, um, out studies at Harvard, like studies at Harvard University, and like just if you can give a shot, it'd be great. And they called me back like two weeks later and were like, What's what fair compensation be paying for your apartment living expenses for you to spend the summer abroad in Portugal with us? And so I literally learned Portuguese from scratch. I knew no Portuguese before that internship. I had to study it before I got there. I had to study it while I was there. And then actually, when I came back to Harvard, I kept studying it again. And then that's actually how I learned all the Romance languages. Because after I learned Portuguese, I came back to Harvard, had a wonderful professor who knew all the Romance languages and really encouraged me to learn French and Italian. I still speak with him every week in a different language. Um, and so that actually... What was once like a thing where like, oh damn, I couldn't afford this opportunity actually turned into now I'm a person that speaks five languages. Like it's something like if you can use those opportunities where, like, oh, why why me this time It's actually turn into something good? Like those are the things that are going to differentiate you. And I think a reason why I got hired at Goldman wasn't because I was like so good at financial modeling that they were like, wow, this kid is just going to going to be the best modeler ever. Like That's exactly why we want to work with him for 100 hours a week. Um, I, I was told that like my experience in learning Portuguese out for a law firm that I've never met before, doing work I've never done before, in a language I've never spoken, was so different from anyone else applying that they were like, we want to work with that kid for 90 to 100 hours a week, not the person who's like been drilled in a spreadsheet since the day that <laughs>
2: Now I feel like your story really um, exemplifies what it means to really network. I feel like a lot of people, like in our our age, our situation, they kind of treat networking like a like a task, like oh, I have to check this box, I have to meet this person, and email him so I could get this job. But I was uh, when we were talking to Tom, I don't know if we were there, but when we were talking to Tom Shear from the Marquee Group yesterday, and he said he said networking is, is is really like a lifelong career. It's so important because the person that you you might be talking to or likely get you a job, or might know somebody that could get you a job five to ten years from now. And just keep this it. is about being friends with people, and I find that really amazing.
1: Yeah, that's also something I've noticed. You know, you you just do it like very effort, effortlessly. I mean, like when you're in the BLK community, it's so easy to like reach out to anybody. You know, you're always just like a message away, and you know everything is so open and transparent. So that's that's like another great attribute of uh, BLK as well. But, um just something that comes to mind is recently, I'm sure you saw this report that um, Goldman is, like, working their analysts at an insanely high level. Um, at your internship, is that, like, something you experienced as well? Because um, you just said, like, 90 to 100 hours. Um, like they want to spend ninety two hundred hours with you. So what 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 was like your timetable like? Were you able to do like this type of daily routine uh, when you were there?
0: No, yeah. <laughs> <I'm> simply put, <laughs> no. Um, yeah. So when I had to do a golden, Um It's it's much different when you're an analyst, right? So like during my during my time in school and deal okay, right? Like I'm the president. I get to determine like when things are happening. like. <laughs> people will have to accommodate two months later. Um, So it actually makes a lot of those things possible. Um, but, but when I was working on the desk, there were so many things that I'd never seen before that I literally was bewildered of how to actually navigate that summer because it had to happen entirely virtually. I'd never done a virtual internship before. And so what I did actually, I did the entire Goldman internship standing up. So I was like, how am I supposed to like, you know, stand and exercise when I'm virtual all the time and so I actually from literally I would stand for like 15 hours a day I would just never sit and that's actually how I got my exercise in if you stand for 16 hours a day your legs will get sore but they will also get strong um and so I had to work a lot no doubt I mean I the work came in waves so there were some weeks where I was working 90 plus hours a week there were also weeks where it was a little easier um it never got below eighty hours though, um, and then I would say like I had great you know even when I messed up at the firm like I had many instances where they were like what is this intern like why didn't you do this very obvious step um, and so they, but they could have blamed me for a lot of things that happened like they didn't. instead they would so they allowed me to like work harder and get it right next time which is really cool and I got to work on live deals which was different than all my other peers at other banks. Like a reason why you have to work so hard at Google is because they have so many clients and there's so much volume and things to do. So it's like, you know, that's a good thing. It's a good thing for your summer. Um, but you know, I could see how like a full year of doing it could, could hurt <laughs> because like, if you're only doing it for like a summer, my internship actually got cut short, it was like six weeks. So I was able to go through it a little easier than my peers who were like full-time analysts having to go through it for like two years. Uh, so it can just be more difficult, you know, depending on that circumstance. But overall actually people are quite supportive. I'd also say my mental health on payday was a lot better than my mental <laughs> health days. Uh, like, you know, if you did if you if you surveyed me my mental health on the thirty first every month, it was probably a lot higher than the other times during the week. Uh, yeah, I, I assume that a job like that can, can be very draining.
2: Um but I feel like I know people in our position, like going into like investments, asset management. I feel like we know what we're getting into. So, like my, my view is like those kind of hours are to be expected. Like you know you gonna you're gonna be grinding from eight am to maybe like twelve am on 8 a come back tired and jump on it the next day over again. And you mentioned like your engagements with your like uh like with the people that work at Goldman. Like you describe what some of the networks. Like, that you had access to? Like, the, Were there people that you could easily like reach out to if you need help or something? Yeah. Or was it very, would you
0: say, cutthroat? Uh, Well, the cool thing about working on a live deal is that, well, they better respond to you because you're actually the person working on the model and the presentation. So if they don't get back to you, it's all just not going work. So they kind of have to respond to you and work with you. I was very fortunate that my associate actually went to hour. So it was really comforting to have someone who was like, from an HBC background who we black, um, someone that I could like actually wanted to work with. Like I wanted that person to succeed. And I could tell that he wanted me to succeed too. And so that meant a lot. Um and then I also like the other analysts I was working on these deal teams where they were always a pink win. My intern class as well, we had a group chat where we could ask all of our dumb questions too. And you know, those are people that if I see them on the street, I'm gonna give them a high five. Because they got me out of some tough circumstances where people would just say terms of meetings, and meetings, I'd be like, Guys, what does that mean? <laughs> they would be able to actually tell you what was going on. Um, so they, they always had my back in that regard. So even though I never got to meet them in person, which is a bummer, although I will be able to meet people this summer, um, they, they really had my back to value. Yeah, I'm very thankful for, for that actually. If, if the people weren't as good as they were, that would have been a really hard job. Yeah,
1: definitely. So, um, you know, uh, you're working long hours. You're very dedicated to be okay. You know, you're obviously also a a student at Harvard. So what, like, what is your motivating reason uh, when you get out of bed? Like what motivates you? What is like, you know, pushing you to, you know, be so coveted or like achieve this much? Yeah,
0: what makes you wake up and be ready to go jump out the bed? Um. First of all, my grandmother, because, you know, if she can raise seven black children by herself, then, you know, survive Jim Crow. Like there's no reason why I can't like go out and take full advantage of the opportunities that she's paved the way. So first of all, like, you know, I, I come from, a family where, like, I'm pretty much the first. Person, I'm like one. I'm like the first generation of my family to have the entire world right in front of me. Um, for many generations, my family has not had any real chance or opportunity to, you know, go to college, to generate wealth for themselves, to actually have the freedom to pursue what they love. And so, I'm very blessed that I am actually the person who's born into that. You know, that my father was actually able to make it out of a lot of hardship that I will never have. To do. So there are definitely I, I stand on the shoulders of the giants. I don't um, you know if you heard that, but those people are very much a solid reminder of like what I am here at Harvard to accomplish. And then beyond like just those people that are around me, like I have an excellent group of black men that I live with on campus who are really really high achievers. Um one of them is actually Keith Keith Simmons who's you know, the healthcare sector in okay uh, My other friend is Noah Harris, who's actually the pre- student vice president of Harvard University. Orvin um, Pierre, who's like yeah, kids probably go to Harvard Medical School today. And then um, my other friend Brandy St. Louis who's an engineering genius Like I live with these dudes and you know I see the kind of effort they're putting in like right next to me. So it's like you know, having friends that are like that, you know, makes it very obvious, like, what I need to be doing for myself,
2: too. Yeah, you, survive, you surround yourself with positive energy that may achieve positive things. And when you were speaking, it sounds like your grandmother is definitely like a role model to you. Do you have uh, any more in your life that you would like to talk about?
0: Um, I mean, yes. <laughs> like, uh, I think it would take a long time. I suppose, like, I mean, for sure, shots out to my parents and my sister. I mean, without a doubt, like, my mom had to go through a lot of stuff um, to, to give birth to my sister and I, and, you know, my dad, too. So I, I'm thankful for them for, like, you know, making it very apparent that success would be expected and demanded out of me, but never, never, like, we're so to the point where, like, we're not going to love you if you don't succeed. So I'm very thankful for them being present in my life in just the right way, which I don't think a lot of parents are. I feel very fortunate to have had two parents that actually pretty much pulled off as best as they could have.
1: Definitely. Yeah, parents, parents can be a great influence. Um, is there any advice you would give to anyone that's listening, you know that wants to be in your position, that wants to be like the president will be okay one day, but that somebody just wants to join. Be okay. Like, what advice
0: would you give to someone like that? My goodness. Um, I would say, like, first of all, um, like, find people ahead of you that are that are doing what like, what you want to do. You may not know exactly what you want to do, but if you can find people ahead of you that are like living. That life that like you're like okay that's someone that I can see myself doing that. Like you need to find those people kind of as soon as you can. It's really helpful if they're like already in your college. Um, that's why I'm very fortunate to go on the hard route, with there were a lot of people like that. Um, now I would also say if you're actually going to lead anything, you know you've got to drop your ego and recognize that you're actually not the best person to do everything. You're just absolutely not like. Um, shout out to Ade Akande. like he's the CSO. We are actually, you know, run the recruiting process for people. Right? Um, as two cycles. If I had like decided that you know I was gonna you know for some reason decide to take charge, that, like that would have been stupid because that person is actually like really good at doing that. Um, so you need to like understand that not everything is up to you, and that. You're going
1: to have to just trust people if anything in an organization you're actually going to run is going to succeed. Definitely. That, that's, some,
2: that's some good advice. Now, I have, I have another question.
1: This might be a
2: little, uh, um, so as president of, of BLK, right, you've likely spoken to many executives and human resource people. And I know in a lot of these presentations and meetings, they make a point to highlight their diversity, right? We have a very diverse workforce. We're looking for more black young talent. So, in your opinion, what company like exemplify? What company have you encountered that have that has exemplified like diversity to so like almost near perfectly? Like, like when you think of them, it screams like, "Wow, this is this is
0: a safe space for young black talent." Well, I mean, that would be fifth Century Partners because they're actually a black-owned private equity firm that invests in black businesses. So, you're know, like talking about like a safe space. For black people to join, like that would be where you would go. Um, when it comes to like the actual large bracket sponsorship deal, I think that's sort of what you're asking for. Um, goodness. Yeah, I, I suppose I can kind of tell um, just by the engagement of like people. I can only give my experience based on the people that I'm in contact with, but the people that I've been in contact with at JP Morgan are just some of the realest black people like I have. Like there are some really, really cool people there. Um and then Vanguard too. they're not I actually haven't met a lot of black people at Vanguard, but the people that are there are some really, really good people too. Um they they I can you can just tell that they really really care. Um I, I would say like my experience at Golden 2 has been like, like I I've never felt that, that like my race put be at a disadvantage at any point in time. I do understand that like there's the general expectation that we put on ourselves as black people to like, you know, be perfect, be twice as better as the people around you, to make sure that people don't evaluate you worse than peers just because you're performing at the same level as them. So I, I would say I'd really highlight jay Morgan and Vanguard, like their sensation of people, but like all of the be okay if you're sponsoring be like, OK, you're doing something right. And so like they they have it in some capacity to care. And yes, of course what happened in 2020, they were given no choice. But you have to like I mean there's always your expectations can only be so high for institutions that I have never accepted my for a very long time. If you're gonna inherit the space, you just have to understand that like it's it's yeah. gonna happen. Like you're going to experience people that like are not very conducive to your upbringing and not very sensitive to you are but I would say actually like engaging with DLK is a great start because all the sponsors. I hope they all have been able to engage with, I hope you've seen that like they really actually do care. Like, they actually do want y'all enjoying that. So I hope that that experience is you all getting exposed with all
1: these things. Yeah, definitely.
0: Um so
1: what what uh how much of your success would you attribute to like actual luck and how much would you attribute it to like hard work?
0: Um I see you've got a Nipsey poster back there. So I, I actually like um something that uh, I, I think, um, like Misty said something to the point of like, you know, you know, hard work plus patience. Like that's what it's all. That's dedication. You know, hard work plus patience, and you need to work hard for when, like, you finally do get blessed with your opportunity. You you have to be willing to work hard and get absolutely nothing out of it. Like you have to understand that some of the work you're gonna put in, no one will ever recognize. No one will ever like actually care that you did it. No one's ever going to recognize you for doing it. But you have to be like the work in itself has to influence you, or like you won't actually, you'll actually really want to film it. So, what I would say is like for all the opportunities I've gotten, that that is like a straight plus. Those are absolutely straight blessings that are out of my control and were given to me because people way before me had made sacrifices I will never understand for me to have the ability to receive them. But my ability to work hard is why those opportunities that I was given have actually turned into such a successful
1: Yeah. No, that, that's, that's a great answer. And I love uh, uh, how you tied that in with Nipsey as well. Um. So th- this will be our, our our final question. But what what do you think the biggest mistake uh, you've learned from is, and how do you come back uh, from like making mistakes? Biggest mistake.
0: Oh my goodness, mistake. Or
1: opportunity to grow. We can yeah. we can rephrase it like that.
0: Well,
1: what, what is the biggest? Ob- There's so many. <laughs> <laughs> oh my
0: goodness. I think
1: you don't make too many mistakes. No, I make
0: too many. It's like I'm trying to figure out which one is like the one to choose, like which mistake has the honor of being mentioned.
1: Um, (laughs) I mean, you can name a few as well if you'd like.
0: (laughs) Sure, I'll give give a variety of examples. So, I when I first put the VOK fall conference together I made plenty of mistakes and it stressed me out like it really really stressed me out like I was getting very nervous a lot because sometimes I would like you know um like you know, I didn't know that a sponsor one this event also happened in addition to like judging stock pitches I didn't know that like um they were expecting these kind of this kind of time with the membership and these other sponsors are, like s- suggesting this kind of time and so you know the conference really taught me like you like you can't put too much pressure like you have to show yourself grace sometimes that like even it because like you know the conference ended up going fine like the conference ended up going really well and like we had a great I think all the sponsors really all the students enjoyed it it ended up being okay but throughout it like I was really, really stressed out. and Because I wasn't really giving myself grace. I was like demanding complete perfection on myself the entire time. And that's not a reasonable thing. So it's okay to give yourself grace when you mess up, which I would say that that's really important. And then, probably actually, maybe it wasn't a mistake, but I I learned a lot from not having the chance to study abroad when I wanted to study abroad. Like I, I learned a lot from that experience of being denied something that you know I was really looking forward to, and then actually being able to turn what like, felt like what you know was like ah oh, it's tough that it won't be able to happen for me into something that's actually now like really defined part of my college experience. and actually cultivated myself in ways that I never would have expected myself to be capable of when I began college. So, so those are probably two things I'd really highlight.
1: Definitely. No, those are great lessons to learn from as well. But um, thank you so much for joining us today. You know, it's an honor to have you on as our first guest. Um, it, was, it was really a pleasure. Emmanuel, is there anything else you want to add? Um,
2: I just really appreciate what you just said about, like, failing from your mistakes. Because I've, I've been – I've personally been in a position where, like, I, I had wanted to start something on campus, and it it hadn't, it didn't go as planned, and it just – it really turned me down, so I appreciate what you what you said, and I was able I, I was able to learn from that, as you did, and it just taught me a lot about patience and making sure certain things follow through as plan and fact checking yourself and not being too too hard on yourself as well, because I feel like as blacks as black students, we feel like we always have to be perfect. Then everything we do, because we feel like we're always being watched. You know. Yeah. So I really appreciate everything that you said, and like like you said, um, thank you for taking
0: the time with us here today and coming to speak with us. Thank you all for taking the initiative and making this happen. This really cool. Yeah. Uh, Definitely.